0: Hey guys, this is Eric. I'm one of the ministers here at the Robertsdale Church of Christ. I just want to say thank you for checking out this message. And I'd like to invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 1030 if you're ever in the Robertsdale area. If you want to find out more information about the Robertsdale Church, head over to our website at robertsdalechurch.com. All right, let's get to the message. I'm praying that God will use this message to bless you and will help you grow closer to Jesus Christ. Well, have you ever had that feeling that I'm not sure I'm really cut out for this. I have to pardon my voice this morning. The uh, 40 degree temperature swing is having its effect on me pretty good. So I'm not sure I'm cut out for what I'm about to do this morning. But have you ever had that feeling? I felt it the first time I ever coached middle school girls basketball. I thought, I'm not sure I'm cut out for this. Maybe you thought it on your first day at a new job. Maybe you thought it on the first time you started in a varsity game. Maybe you thought it the first time you got moved to the first chair in the band. Maybe you even thought it on the first day of retirement. Jonathan, is it too soon to talk about? It might be too soon to talk about retirement. Moment of silence. All right. There's this prayer that Paul prays in Colossians 1 that Grayson just read to us that there's a line that makes me think Man, I don't know if I'm cut out for this. I want to look at it real quick. He said, "We have you. We're asking that you be filled with God's knowledge and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, so that you walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him." Let me let me just ask you this morning: Do you feel like you can walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him? That's where, as a follower of Jesus, I say, "Oh man." I'm not sure that I'm cut out for that. I'm not sure that I'm good enough for that to walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. Yet Paul prays this for us. And in Paul's mind, he believes that we can. So last week, we introduced our theme for this upcoming year called Devoted. And we looked at last week how this church that we read about in Acts 2 was devoted, devoted to four things primarily. Devoted to the word. They were devoted to the fellowship, which is to one another. They were devoted to the table, which includes the Lord's Supper, and it includes sharing meals together. And they were also devoted to prayer. And so, what we're going to do over the course of this year is we're going to look at some different ways that that church was devoted. We're going to spend some time looking at each one of those devotions and really turning each one of them into a series in and of itself. And so, starting today, I want us to spend the next couple of weeks in this series called Walk Worthy, where really what we're looking at is what it means to be devoted to the Word. Now, last year, we spent several weeks going through the essentials, and we looked at, if I remember right, seven different different—excuse <clears throat> essential elements to our faith. And so those are the non-negotiables. Those are the things that, as followers of Jesus, we have to agree upon. If you weren't here for that or you missed some, you can go on our website, Robertsdalechurch.com. You can find that series, and you can go back and watch that and see what those non-negotiables are in the series. What I want us to do is I want us to think about what does it mean to walk worthy of the Lord? How can we be so devoted to the Lord and so devoted to the Word that our lives this worthy walk? Because what we know about the scriptures is Jesus would tell us it's not about just having knowledge. It's about putting that knowledge into practice. It's about the application of what we know. How do you walk worthy of the Lord? You do what Jesus says. You live it out. And by living it out, you will live out this worthy walk. And so what I want to do for the next couple of weeks is look at this prayer from Paul as he's praying for us to walk worthy. And see, what is he actually praying for us to do and understand so that we can live lives that are worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him? Because in Paul's mind, we can. So here's kind of our big idea for today that we're going to unpack in a few minutes together. You can walk worthy of the Lord because you are filled with God's Spirit, rescued from darkness, and brought into the kingdom of the loving God. Now, if you came to church hoping, you know, I wonder if we're going to get out early today. Probably so, because I'm not sure my voice is going to hold up for the normal length of a lesson. So if we feel like we're moving a little bit faster, it's because my voice is going downhill a lot faster than I anticipated. <clears throat> so, let's talk about this first idea. We're going to go a little bit out of order. And I know, I know some of you are like, that really bothers me. We're going to go out of order. But I like to keep you a little bit uncomfortable as often as I can. Let's start with this idea, you can walk worthy because you've been rescued. Now, the entire story of the Bible is a story about rescue. It's about God coming to our rescue. Now, every July the 4th, we gather together as Americans and we celebrate our independence. We think back to a couple hundred years ago when those great patriots fought that battle called the American Revolution, the Revolutionary War. And they went against the most powerful empire in the world at the time. And they signed their lives away on this great document called the Declaration of Independence. And they declared their freedom from the empire and kingdom of England. And they go on to actually win the battle. And they set up this government founded around this document that is tested the last couple hundred years to keep our government and our country operating as a country based on the freedom and fundamental God-given rights of people. That's our story. That's what we teach our children when they go through school. We teach them this great story of where we have come from and where we are trying to head to. Well, if we grew up in Jewish homes, then that story that we would learn about independence Would look a little bit different. It wouldn't necessarily be a story from the late 1700s. It would be a story that goes far beyond that. A story that goes all the way back to the second book in our Bible called Exodus. And it would be this story of how God, through this man named Moses, hears the cries of his people. It's this family of Abraham, this family that God chose to work in and through. And he's going to Turn this family into a nation. And it's because of a famine that breaks out in the land that they did to Egypt. And there's this guy there. He's actually a descendant of Abraham. And his name is Joseph. And he's risen up to number two in command. And Pharaoh loves Joseph. And because of that, he receives Joseph's family. And this family actually grows into this massive nation. And so there arose a Pharaoh who didn't know Joseph. And all he knows is that there's this growing nation inside of Egypt. And so he decides, rather than to give them freedom, he enslaves them. And they cry out to God. And God hears their cries of oppression. And he raises up this leader, a man named Moses, who actually grew up in Pharaoh's house, but had to run away because there was something in Moses that desired to set people free. And God called Moses to go back. And there are this showdown in the book of Exodus between Yahweh and the gods of Egypt. And Yahweh wins and he leads his people out of Egypt, Moses leading the way. And they come to this last obstacle, this massive body of water called the Red Sea. And they've got to get across to get to safety. Pharaoh's army is in hot pursuit of them and overnight God parts this Red Sea, dries the ground in the middle of it, and Israel walks on dry ground. Pharaoh's army pursues them, gets right in the middle, and then the waters come crashing down, drowning Pharaoh's army. They go on their way to the mountain where God's going to give them a law. He's going to call them to follow him. He's going to enter into a covenant with them. That was Israel's independence story, and it's a story that is shared all throughout the Bible, repeated over and over and over, constantly being reminded of the great exodus. Yet our story is not far from that. While as God's children, we too have been delivered, not from Pharaoh, but from Satan, and we've been delivered from a different form of oppression, because we've been rescued. And that's the second thing that Paul talks about, how we've been transferred into his kingdom. That's how you can walk worthy. Now, this word transferred could also be translated some different things. It could be translated as like brought into. It's an interesting word, and it has behind it the idea that when a nation would go in and fight another nation, whoever won take back to their country some of the population of the nation that they just conquered. You remember back in the Old Testament, there's a book called Daniel. We recently studied it, and Daniel was a a Hebrew. He was a a Jewish young man, and Babylon had come and had conquered Israel, and Daniel and his three buddies, Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael, that we know as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were transported from Jerusalem all the way back to Babylon they were brought out of the kingdom of Israel back into the kingdom of Babylon that's the same idea except what god is telling us what paul is, saying, is that we've been transferred out of something and into something and in this idea are really four ideas that go along with it four ways we've been transferred the first one is we've been transferred from darkness to light now in the bible darkness is referred to as This existence of living without a knowledge of God. You don't realize that you're living in darkness when you don't have God. You feel like you're living, but according to the Bible, it's just darkness. It's just walking around aimlessly, not having any purpose at all, just simply living for the self. Yet when the light of Christ shines into your heart and you see the light, you then recognize, man, I didn't realize how dark it was experience something like that where you're walking through your house or you walk into a building and it looks kind of dark, but you don't think it's that dark until a light is turned on. And you go, Oh my goodness. I didn't realize how dark it was before. Because that's what light does. It exposes those dark places. And when the light of Jesus comes into our life, we are transferred out of that way of living that is lost and hopeless and pointless and we're transferred into the kingdom of light, we now find purpose. And we actually experience the way of Jesus is far greater than any other way of living that we had ever imagined. That's the first way. The second way is that we've been transferred from slavery to freedom. Paul, in another letter in Romans, would write that when we are serving sin, when we are living in this sinful existence, we're slaves to sin. And the only way to be freed is to be redeemed. That's a biblical word, and it means to purchase the life of another individual. To redeem someone is to purchase their life. We've all been purchased by the blood of Jesus. Whether or not you've received that freedom, that's a different conversation. We need to understand that Jesus went to the cross to pay the penalty for your sins so that you could be freed from the slavery of sin. The third way is that we've been delivered from condemnation to forgiveness. And we were condemned because we were criminals. Isn't that what happens to criminals? They're condemned. It reminds me of this story in the Bible in the life of Jesus. It's on his last day alive on this earth before he's crucified. And there he's brought out to Pilate. And all of a sudden, this crowd turns against him and they start shouting, Crucify him, crucify him. In the meantime, there's this guy sitting in prison. His name is Barabbas. He's a criminal. He's a lifelong criminal. He actually tried to overthrow Rome and got tossed into prison. And you know what happens to those who tried to overthrow Rome? They were hung on a cross. And all of a sudden, this jailer comes to his cell and opens the door and leads him out. And for Barabbas, he thinks, well, this is it. And he walks out expecting to be condemned, to hear that final verdict. You're guilty, and you will die by crucifixion. But when he walks out, and he hears the crowd shouting, crucify him, crucify him, he was shocked to learn that it wasn't him that they were referring to, because there was another man that was present there that day. His name is Jesus, a man who was completely innocent. They had no crimes to actually charge him with, yet they were able to take this mob and turn against him. And Barabbas on that day expected to be crucified, expected to be hung on a cross that was made for him. Yet on that day, he was forgiven. He was set free. And a man named Jesus of Nazareth, hung on a cross prepared for Barabbas, he was convicted as guilty. Even though Jesus was completely innocent. It just reminds me that I'm Barabbas. I deserve to be hung on that cross. I deserve to be condemned. And no offense, but so do you. You've broken God's law. You've turned. You've rebelled against Him. Yet He offers you forgiveness. He's willing to take your place, so that you could experience life. And therefore, you're no longer. criminal but a forgiven child of God here's the last one we've been delivered and transferred out of the power of Satan to the power of God this is a thing about that he's going to write about in several letters in Ephesians chapter 2 he's going to say these words he says you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world according to the power of the air the spirit now working in the among the disobedient. Let me ask you this, who is the power of the air? Who is the prince of this world? He's talking about Satan. He's talking about anyone who is living under the power of darkness, who is living in sin, is actually living, whether you realize it or not, under the power of Satan himself. Yet, when you're baptized into Christ, when you are brought into the light, you are transferred out of the power of God, excuse me, out of the power of Satan and into the power of God. But that's not it. There's one more thing. It was actually the first line in our big idea. And it's just this reminder that we can walk worthy because we've been rescued, because we've been transferred. But thirdly, because we have been and are being filled by his spirit. Paul prayed that we would be filled with wisdom and understanding. Let me ask you this. Where do you find wisdom and spiritual understanding? Didn't Jesus in the Gospels tell us that the Spirit was going to come and he would guide all believers in all truth? Didn't he say that the Spirit is the one who would come and would bring about understanding? So when Paul prays that you will be filled with wisdom and understanding, he's telling you that you can be an in all and will be filled Spirit. And what it will do, what the Spirit will give you, is an understanding of the will of God. Isn't that a question we all want to know, right? Like, what's God's will for my life? And we all want the specifics, right? I can't tell you the specifics of what God's will for your life is, but I can give you four things that God, that is true for you, that is true for every person, that is God's will for our lives. Number one, God's will for you is to live in loving relationship with him. Jesus said the first and great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. His desire for you is to surrender your life to him in baptism, to live for him. That's number one, God's will for you. Number two, God's will for you is to live a life of worship, to surrender your life to him and to be filled with adoration of God, to have your heart captivated, and completely in awe. We talked about that a little bit last week. We're going to come back to that idea in the coming weeks, to be totally wrapped up in who God is and amazed by him. That's the second thing. Number three, God's will for you is to serve him. Because what did Jesus do? He he grabbed a towel, and he grabbed a bowl of water, and he washed feet. And then he told his disciples, and he's telling us as well, that if that's what he did, we should do likewise. And then fourthly, his desire for you, his will for you is for you to be so wrapped up in him that you talk about him so much that you make other disciples. That you can't help but share what God has done in your life, how Jesus has totally changed you so that you will share that faith with other people. Now, Does he want you to get married? Does he want you to change jobs? Does he want you to buy this item or sell this item? I can't speak to that. I think that's where you need to completely surrender your life and your heart to the Lord and seek spiritual wisdom. And in the meantime, what he will give you is wisdom. Because you know what wisdom is, right? Wisdom is the ability to see into the future, the consequences of the of the decisions made in the present. How many of you would like that? To be able to recognize in the future, if I do this, this will happen. And then I go, ooh, I don't want that to happen. That's called wisdom. How do you gain wisdom? According to the Bible, it's being filled with the Spirit. It's why Paul prayed. It's why Paul challenged us, don't be filled with wine, which leads to reckless living, but Be filled with God's Spirit. Because what happens when you're filled with God's Spirit? What does it lead you to? According to Paul in Ephesians, it leads you to worship. It leads you to joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and love. The fruit of the Spirit. That's what happens when you surrender your life to the Lord fully filled by him. That's Paul's prayer for us, that we would surrender to be filled. He has been and is filling us. And when he does that, you will be able to walk worthy. On Friday, there was this news story that came out of this state trooper in Vermont who got this call on the radio. There was these There were these two little girls that were out on a patch on a frozen pond and they were playing on the frozen pond when they hit this really thin patch of ice and they fell in and their grandmother was able to rescue the younger little girl, but the older girl who was eight years old was a little farther away and she couldn't get to her. So she dialed 911 and that trooper Michelle Archer received the call, was just a few minutes away, sped to the scene. She grabbed out of her patrol car a flotation device and she ran into the frozen pond, dove into the water and rescued this eight-year-old little girl, pulled her to safety. An amazing act from a hero, a true hero. And when I read that story, it just reminded me, we're all that eight-year-old little girl. We're all in over our head when it comes to sin when it comes to the drowning and destruction that sin brings to our lives, we're all in need to be rescued. And Jesus didn't just dive in the pond and pull us to safety. He took our place. He gave his life for us so that we could experience new life and complete healing. And so today, I want to challenge you. Maybe for the first time ever, to begin your walk with the Lord. And you may be thinking, oh, I, don't, I don't know if I'm cut out for this. I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I'm good enough. You're right. You're not. No offense. You're not good enough. If you were, you wouldn't need Jesus. He is good enough. And he makes us good enough. That's why Paul didn't pray, hey, in order for you to walk worthy, just try a little bit harder. He prayed, be filled with God's spirit. Recognize you've been rescued and you've been brought into the kingdom of God. Because of these things, you can walk worthy of the Lord. So if you're here this morning and you're in need of rescue, Jesus has done everything that needs to be done for you. Now it's your turn to receive him. If you're ready to be rescued today, We want to challenge you and encourage you to confess your sin, confess your belief in Jesus, and be baptized this morning. If you need the prayers of this group of people, maybe you've drifted from the Lord, you've bought the lie of the enemy that you're not worthy enough, and you've allowed it to push you away from the Lord. He wants to fill you more with his spirit, and he wants to draw you closer to him. If we can encourage you in any way this morning, won't you let us know? It's together we stand and sing.